Hey everyone, this is uh, Rex again with another edition of Cabin Fever Conversations as part of the Millennial Trash Podcast. Today, a special guest dialing from the dirty south in Atlanta. <laughs> we got Norbert on the line. Hey, what's up, everyone? What's going on, Norbert? How's life? Dude, it's uh, all good in the dirty south. And uh, for those people who don't know who Norbert is, um, you want to give a quick intro to who you are? Yeah, yeah. So I grew up in LA and I met Rex um, probably a couple years after college through a mutual friend. And then I moved to, to work abroad in Japan for Delta Airlines for five years. And when I got back to LA, this was what, three or four years ago, I ran into Rex and then we started kicking it. And last year, 2019 is when Delta transferred me to to Atlanta. So I've been here now. You know, Rex likes to say that 2019 was the best year of his life. <laughs> kind of kind of confusing because because uh, I wasn't there in LA anymore. Another reason why is the best year. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, cool. And uh, I guess we could talk about it a little bit more in depth. But what do you do for Delta? So I've done a few different roles. When I was in Japan, I worked in Asia strategy. So that was working and determining where we fly in Asia to the US. And when I got to the when I got to LA, I did it for West Coast, uh, the routes that we flew out of LAX and Seattle and kind of uh, our pricing and marketing actions. Mm-hmm. And now I work in airport real estate, which is kind of financing and planning for our facilities, like ter- the terminals, the gates, and and stuff that we fly at, at through the through the system. Like making sure it is good restaurants the gate, Some, something like that. <laughs> I mean, they've gotten a lot better. <laughs> All right, yeah. So that's a good uh, segue for later. So the reason why I wanted to invite Norbert on the show, <clears throat> just like Evan. For the last episode, I think he brings some really interesting insights and experiences during this pandemic, and we'd like to get him to share his uh, personal experience so far. Uh, for one, uh, currently living in Atlanta, who the state of Georgia was the first state to open up their stay-at-home orders and allowing people back into the public slowly. So, I want to hear more about how that's going. To get his uh, feedback on how the airline industry has reacted to the pandemic, but also his foresight into the future of what he thinks travel is going to look like. And third, like we talked with Evan, wanted to speak about the Asian reputation again, especially for an individual who lives in uh, the South where most Asian Americans don't reside. And I feel like it's a, more of a minority minority down there. So I guess to kick things off, dude, um, so how has the pandemic and quarantine life been for you? Yeah, so I remember when the shelter-in-place orders went into place in New York and L.A. I mean, when was that? Like March? early March? Yeah. Like, yeah, earlier mid-March. And I think at the onset, you know, everyone kind of perceives it as, as pretty extreme. And you think it's just kind of limited to those dense metro areas because uh, there's so much of a large population at risk. 
And when it finally came to Georgia a few weeks later, I think, you know, whether it's uh, the state government being more conservative or or whatever it is, um, it finally got to here. And so we were already one of the later states to to actually put that into place. Um, but how were people taking it seriously? Were people like, oh, they didn't see it as a big deal? Like, how were people reacting to it? So, I what's kind of interesting is there was that period between when California and New York did it. Uh-huh. So there's obviously a lot of awareness of what's going on in the U.S., but before Georgia made it a law, so a lot of non-essential businesses were open, but people were very cautious about it. Mm-hmm. You know, you could already tell that people were kind of social distancing, even though it wasn't the state policy. Yeah. And th- there was a lot more just kind of wariness when it when it came to that. So I think... Now that while the state policy has been, you don't need to, or shelter in place is is lifted, um, non-essential businesses can can reopen, you still see a lot of precautions that people are are taking. I'd say that's kind of the general sense. Uh Um, So it really feels like that that period uh, right now. Uh And so, but once you kind of get into it, I mean, it gets... It gets interesting, right? Because mm-hmm. while you have the while restaurants and businesses have the ability to open, mm-hmm. I would say, I mean, I haven't done like a city tour of you know just driving up and down Atlanta streets, but I, I mean, my hunch is seventy five percent to what eighty five percent of rush of stores restaurants are still closed at least in Atlanta, like Atlanta proper. Mm-hmm. And also bear in mind that Georgia's a pretty red state, but Atlanta itself, there's been a lot of transplants and, and growth in the city. So it's, uh, the, the city itself is very blue. Um, we've, we've had a Democratic mayor here for, for at least the last uh, eight years, I want to say. Yeah. So, like you mentioned, um, Atlanta itself is a little bit more, you know, progressive, democratic, which is the overall state of Georgia, skewing more Republican. Have you seen a clash, and I guess, in mentality or beliefs because of someone who's very, like, pro-Republican, MAGA, pro-Trump, going against someone who's a bit more precautious as Democrat? Have you seen, like, much clashing between those two uh, sides (laughs) so you haven't seen any protests in in georgia because uh it was was probably the georgia governor that would have led led the protest (laughs) to (laughs) to to reopen in front of line (laughs) (laughs) exactly um the the day that the shelter in place order was announced to be lifted the mayor of Atlanta, Keisha Lance Bottoms, went on CNN and was interviewed. And she was like, uh, what the heck? You know, Atlanta accounts for more than half of Georgia's population. Uh-huh. And I wasn't even notified that he was going to do this. 
Yeah. And she's like, I've always had like a good relationship with Governor Kemp, but you know, this was a really big shock. So that, I mean, that right there is kind of the first, um, the first clash. Mm-hmm. And I think when you go about daily life, uh, you really do see the two different types of people, right? Type the first one that's going to be really cautious and mm-hmm. I mean, I went running once and I was going down the path and this lady literally like jumped off <laughs> as I was coming by oh, um, to make sure that there's six feet of separ- separation. You know, she was, I mean, she had her face mask on and stuff and I could just see her like, uh, you know, dodging everyone along the way. And there's, I, I do know a lot of people that, you know, do not want to go to the grocery store or have any unnecessary risk. Uh, you know, masks and gloves, uh, just try and insulate yourself as much as possible. Yeah. And then when you go out on, you know, after work or on the weekends and you're, you're at the park, uh, there's actually a bunch of city parks that are really close by and people that are all that are, that have been cooped up all day are out there having picnics or, you know, just hanging out with friends. It's interesting too, because they're all just, uh, you know, it's almost carefree as can be. Uh, almost no one at at the park is wearing a mask and yeah. stuff like that. Yeah, no, that's super interesting because I think, well, like in LA, California now, a lot of people are getting stir crazy. You probably see all the protests and whatnot on the news in Huntington Beach and whatnot, uh, protesting the closure of the beaches. I guess from yeah, I get where they're coming from. Maybe like not as extreme as they are. But I get, yeah, like people can't work. They can't provide for their families. Businesses are going down. They're closing. So it's a little huge repercussion to being closed. Obviously, we're trying to like, keep people healthy and safe. But in the back of my head, I guess I could sound very pessimistic, but, you know, like, will there ever be a vaccine created? Will we ever actually be totally safe? Or is this something that we just have to get used to and just not live in fear? Right. But then right. I'm, I'm practicing quarantining. I don't really go out much except for get groceries, like wear a mask, but stay six feet away. But then, you know, how long can you do it before you like, oh, like we just gotta adapt as human beings, right? So I don't know. Yeah. yeah. Or isn't that kind of your observation when you went to San Diego? Yeah. Yeah. Because like I went to San Diego this past weekend. It's only two and a half hours away from LA, it's another big metro area, not as dense as LA, but it was such a totally different vibe. People just felt a bit more positive and upbeat. And granted, people were wearing masks and stuff, but not as, didn't seem as afraid of everyone else. There's people running on the beach, people playing beer pong in the front yard, there's people out and about. <laughs> and there's some, yeah. it didn't feel like there was, didn't feel like a, there was a quarantine or pandemic happening at all, which is totally different from LA where things can feel so negative sometimes. And so. Right. Right. It's like the two groups probably equally kind of spite each other, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. the, 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 the cautious people are social shaming the carefree people and the carefree people are like, come on, it's not the end of the world. Yeah. And then, then how long is this going to go on for, right? Is it going to go on forever? Like at some point, like I do want to get back to normal life someday. Right. And not live in fear. And yeah, 
you can't live in a like you people can choose to live in a bubble for the rest of their life. But I don't I'm not trying to. But right. But I do want I don't want to like catch a very severe disease and you know go to the hospital in the IR and die potentially, right? So I got I got news for you, yo. <laughs> yeah, the the US has a guinea pig state <laughs> to for for everyone to find out what happens yeah we'll see what happens in georgia in two in a week or two actually yeah i mean it's almost been two weeks and uh i have been monitoring the cases since and you also i mean as you kind of think about the data right some places have opened and even for the places that have opened they are very cautious about it my coworker got a haircut uh, over the weekend, and he said, when he went in, there's only two chairs, two people go in at a time. Everyone else, go back to your car and wait, mm-hmm. and uh, they'll text you when they're ready. Then you go in. And then he said when he was getting his haircut, uh, a cop came by to check oh, really? that they were having these kind of social distancing measures. Otherwise, uh, they they pull their license, right? They close the shop. That's why I mentioned, like, is this something we can ever avoid? Or we to just get used to it, right? So, but then it's really interesting because I think the results from Georgia is going to do a couple things. Either one, it's going to prove ultra-conservatism to stay in and quarantine to be false or not as not needed, I'd say. Or it's going to show how deadly that actually disease is going to be and cause everyone go, to go back into quarantine but even stricter rules I feel yeah like there's only two outcomes from this <laughs> i feel like huh. all right uh the next thing i want to talk to norbert about is his uh insider i guess experience within the airline industry as people are no longer flying no longer traveling and the airline industry already operates on pretty much low margins already and if you're that me some that will mean some beer money, Rex. <laughs> but, you know, like, people are taking flights. The airline industry is already leading itself. So imagine canceling thousands of flights and trying to operate a very high fixed cost type of business, right? Can you walk us through what you were seeing from a work standpoint as the virus was growing bigger and bigger? It's just been this crazy path since the, the outbreak started. I mean, our metrics immediately indicate how serious people are reacting to travel. Yeah. And our revenues start to start to drop. And shoot, I think what was it? Negative negative thirty percent in in late February, negative fifty percent. And then when in, in March, when it got to negative fifty percent and then as the revenues are dropping, I mean, you see all this in real time on a daily basis. And when it got to 50% in, in early March, you start to react by canceling flights because you don't fly. It's, you, you're already going to uh, hurt your, your margins by flying planes half full. So yeah. you try and cancel to accommodate supply to demand. Yeah. When we got to that 50% point, um, I remember the, the corporate memo was, we are going to 
pull downs. This is the biggest pull down of flights we've ever had. It is more than how much we pulled down after 9-11. Yeah, because um, yeah, 9-11 is, you saw a, a complete suspension of all flight activity for a week. Uh-huh. And then after that, it slowly kind of built back up because people were concerned about security. Yeah. And that's what started Department of Homeland Security and TSA. And so March was when we got to that 50% point. By the end of March and April and through May, we're at negative 90%. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, it's just a fraction of revenues that are. I think it's down to negative ninety five percent. I want to say. And yeah, the only people that are traveling are, um, you know, it's medical. Number two, I think, is um, for family emergency reasons. Yeah, and and number three is people going to secondary homes or. Or yeah. vacation homes. Yeah, it's it's crazy. Like, remember back in uh, early March when the pandemic just started, and everyone's like, "Oh, there's so many cheap flight tickets. I'm booking them right now." And to turn it upside down entirely, where no one wants to fly, or people are just afraid to fly now. Even with- yeah, yeah. So, kind of state of of where travel is. Yeah. And- like, what are your thoughts on where travel is going to look like? It's hard to say in the short term because we know what short term is, but what do you think it's going to look like, let's say, the, the six months a year after this pandemic kind of goes away or gets a little bit more bearable? Yeah, I mean, I can talk about what you would see at the airport today. Um, similar to how stores and other public places have set up social distancing markers, we They've done that at airports so that people, I think even if you didn't do it, people would be, would already start um, giving each other that kind of space. But, you know, it's very visible. There are plexiglass shields that are getting set up Mm -hmm. so that you limit any potential human transmission as much as possible. And certain airlines have required all employees and customers to wear face masks Uh, from when you get to the airport, when you go through security, when you're on the plane to until you exit. Yeah. What's Um, going to play? Like you mentioned that before Delta was selling or having flights half full and it wasn't really economical, but then now what, what what are the plans going to look like since we can't sit that close together? Yeah. So we had, we had canceled half of our flights that was back in March and now I in in line with what's being booked by passengers we're only flying like 20% of something or of what our usual schedule is so you get your planes a little bit fuller to where it actually makes sense to to operate the plane and Delta I think Jet Blue as well has has done this where you don't sell the middle seat. So there's automatic distancing there. Um, And you're only going to sell 
up to 60% of your seat capacity on on airplanes. I read an article today. I think Frontier Airlines said that, you know, as people are flying again, it could pay extra and get the middle seat empty. And people were clapping back at them and say, hey, like, you should be doing it for, you know, helping protect the health of people versus trying to make money. But I can understand from Frontier's end because they're going to be making less per flight. So they got to find ways to recoup that. Yeah, it's kind of people getting more comfortable with the thought of of air travel and in that they're they're not going to it's not going to be like a hot spot. What's it called? I I'm sure there's I I know one of my really good friends is is really paranoid because if he thinks if one person on the plane has it then then he'll contract it because he gets sick really easily. Yeah. I guess question for you, like you being a frequent flyer, you're the guy type of guy who just gets on the plane and goes to Morocco for like lunch and comes back to the States for dinner. But are you going to be willing to fly in like say three to six months or are you going to still be kind of cautious? Well, I mean, my situation is, you know, I'm living by myself. Me getting COVID is, is not looming fear mm-hmm. uh, in that, you know, I'll, I'll pass it on to a loved one. I, I mean, obviously, I, I'd, I would hope not to pass it on to anyone and just kind of keep it contained within myself. Yeah. Um, but you kind of also need somewhere to travel to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, you can't just, you know, hop on a plane to to nowhere so it i mean it depends on <laughs> go tr- travel to you rex Come back bring uh but yeah bring, but- bring bring all this georgia covid with me uh since italy and europe's trying to open back up would you go to europe yeah that's interesting you know this maybe this dovetails into your your third question right how <laughs> right. i've i've traveled by myself every now and then and I've I've never felt in in danger or that I had to be extra cautious that I was Asian. Yeah. But now I think you don't really have that that uh, security. It's mm-hmm. definitely not as strong as it as it used to be. Uh, the question probably isn't going to be, you know, am, am I good with it? Am I am I good convincing a, a group of people <laughs> to yeah. to go with me and and go hanging out? Yeah, that's a good segue into the third. <laughs> um, yeah, so like uh, one thing that... Hey, maybe I'll travel to Asia. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm not going to be as much a yellow on yellow hate there. But, uh, <laughs> go to Korea. Korea has things a lot or doing really well over there. Um, yeah, so the last topic I wanted to dive into is the Asian reputation at the moment. How has... Have you, I guess, experienced anything related to, I don't think call it racism, but like more so like uh, pertaining to your Asian identity during this uh, pandemic? Like xenophobia yeah. and, and the like. Yeah. Um, so Asian's definitely a much bigger minority here by a large margin mm-hmm. compared to what you have in California. I mean, first of all, I know there's a huge Korean American population here, yeah. but that's uh, not as not as much in some of the neighborhoods of downtown Atlanta. There's huge Korean suburbs. By the way, I think uh, 
one of the Korean barbecue shops I've been to here is better than what I've had in LA. Oh, no way. So, uh, oh, <laughs> oh shit. I, I went there. Yeah. <laughs> so I've been here since March of, of last year. That's when your life started getting better, Rex. Yeah. And, uh, bastard. And I lived in Phoenix for a year. So it's not my first time living in, in middle America or, or whatever. Um, but Atlanta is definitely larger and more diverse than, than Phoenix. The demographics probably like what 40%, I, I'm just, um, shooting from the hip here, 40% white, 40% black, 20% other. Yeah. Um, so I've never felt any sense of xenophobia whatsoever, mm-hmm. uh, for the first year and even to, to this day, That's but great. I think the alertness and the kind of second thinking definitely takes uh, is is taken into account, mm-hmm. especially when you do read on the news of you know family getting attacked in in Texas, and yes. I think there was an acid attack in in New York. Uh, I, I was going to ask you if you know of any other ones, but I, I don't want to know the answer to that. But let's, uh, let's keep my anxiety levels <laughs> <laughs> where they are. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> I'll be blissfully ignorant. But you know, I, or the first week I read that kind of news, I was when I was running, I was like, man, people staring at me. Oh shit! Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I was like, no, you're totally in your head. Um, I, I'd also say, you know, I'm super blessed, uh, being like in a really prime, uh, pre- well-developed area of, of Atlanta. So you're not going to find as, as much of that, that yeah. type here. Yeah. You know, the, the cl- <laughs> yeah, funny story. Um, the closest I've ever had even a potential encounter of it was this last Sunday at the grocery store where this guy, you know, I had my shopping cart and I was buying a week's worth of groceries. So it's, it's pretty full. And this guy walks up to me, um, this older white dude, you could tell not all his screws were, were screwed in. And he's like, Oh man, you're hoarding. Like I'm not hoarding. And I was like, Oh, that's it. (laughs) It could have been worse. And then he walks up and then after me, I see him walk over to like a white girl and say the same thing. I'm like, okay, (laughs) this is just like your, you're running the mill psycho. <laughs> he wasn't gonna come yell at me for for being Asian. Yeah, because uh, everyone, like anyone that does any sort of, I guess, fear mongering or any racial driven action towards us Asian Americans, I think they're just idiots, and they're obviously driven by frustration and fear. And most of the time, when you're angry, you're probably not angry at another person. You're probably angry at yourself. So I think they just need to take out that negativity on someone. The easiest thing is especially with our dumbass president kind of like making annotations that it's a Chinese created disease. Um, yeah. It doesn't help us out a lot. What's kind of ironic about it too, is I was reading a stat like Asians are Asian Americans are just have some large multiplier of how many of us are in like healthcare. Yeah. So I'm just like, well, I'm like, Sure, you go yell at an Asian person. He's probably going to be like your nurse or doctor yeah. <laughs> if you have if you have coronavirus. So, yeah. <laughs> rest in peace. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's just it's a very chaotic world we live in now. I don't know what's going to happen. Right, 
So California is starting to open up their stuff this Friday, like slowly opening up some things on Friday, the hiking trails, some retail stores. So it'll be interesting to see how it unfolds. I mean, how would you, how are you going to approach it? I'm guessing kind of straddle the middle versus being too carefree, being too overly cautious. Yeah, I think I've been in the middle, like you said. I've been out, mostly to grocery stores, mostly to Target. But, uh, you know, went down to San Diego last week. We did, uh, me and my girlfriend, Liz, has done some drives here and there. Uh, we always wore masks and, like, kind of stayed our distance away. But then, you know, when we see people, like, we say, we say what's up, have small condos. So we're not, like, afraid of people. And we're not afraid of the situation. But we're also being very cautious, too, right? Yeah, I think we just straddle the middle. We're not like super afraid because we still have to live our lives at the end of the day. But then we don't want to, you know, catch something and spread it to our family and friends too at the same time, you know? So Mm -hmm. who knows how long that's going to last, that middle ground, right? And I think I did brought this up say, what if a vaccine never is found? It's never. Right. Or it just keeps mutating and the vaccine isn't fast enough to catch it. Yeah, it was like, there's no vaccine for SARS. And then eventually we just forgot about SARS and people are still catching SARS every year and dying, right? So mm-hmm. is this just like a... Like, and, and swine flu. Yeah. So I don't want to sound insensitive, but is corona something that we just overly freak out now? And then next year, we kind of like, oh, there's no vaccine. It is what it is. And, you know, it, yeah. it happens to me, you know, whatever. It's It's so hard to say, right? And especially given everything is, I'm not saying it's hyper sensationalization, but there are just 10, 20, 50 more times for the news to hit you today than what compared to SARS, this period of SARS. You can only get the news by turning on TV, but now everything is going to make its way to you. Yeah. whether it's through a news app or even group chats. I think um, yeah. the group chats, you kind of think it's kind of curated because it's being sent to you by your, from your friends. Yeah. But everything will, will just infiltrate. Yeah. I feel like the media is also trying to like scare people to like, you know, stay in quarantine too, right? You have to like find some method to keep you inside. So I think it's a methodology of the media to report the bad news to hopefully keep you inside. Yeah, like I guarantee, you know, I mean, when, hopefully when, right? It's not an if, when the vaccine comes out, whatever effectiveness it is, like the media is going to report on how not effective a portion of it is. And then, right, like, uh, you know, 35-year-old, no no prior symptoms, had the vaccine and he died. (laughs) Like, you're going to find stuff like that. So. Yeah. It's it's just draining. It's hard to kind of keep your head above water a lot of time. Like to wrap things up, um, what have you been doing to pass your time, Robert? <laughs> I feel like every week I have a new obsession. Uh, the first week was I wanted to learn Spanish, so I went at that super hardcore. <laughs> and then I was like, I need to sort improve. I need to move into my place a little bit better. So I started reorganizing everything. And uh, you know, fixing stuff. Third week was video games, and then this week I am uh, I'm a chef. I'm like just YouTubing how to cook different stuff nonstop. Made some jambalaya last night. 
Wait, did you just give up on Spanish? Are you still doing it or like you're over it? I mean, at first I was like super zealous <laughs> and I was like, yeah, I'm going to go to Latin America after this and, you know, order me some, some bomb ass food in Espanol. Yeah, and then, cause when I lived in Japan, it was super fun picking up Japanese because it's a bunch of sounds and noises at first, but <laughs> you can actually communicate it, communicate in it after you gradually ramp up. So I'd like to do the same thing for Spanish. And then I'm just like, man, fuck this. <laughs> I'm quarantined for <laughs> how many more months? <laughs> this is more depressing than, <laughs> than it is encouraging. It's time to uh, sign off, but appreciate you logging on to the podcast and sharing your stories. Be safe in the ATL. Hopefully you get back to the strip club soon. Magic City Mondays. <laughs> All right. Thanks, man. Thanks for having me on. Take care.